Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the author Scott Love with us. In his book, Why They Follow, Scott shows us how to become the leader that nobody wants to leave. His area of expertise is employee loyalty, and with over 20 years of empirical research, he gives us tactical ideas to lead in a way that increases employee retention, reduces turnover, and attracts high achievers. Scott is a successful entrepreneur, professional keynote speaker, and a graduate of the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. So welcome, Scott. Love, how are you? I'm doing great, Lily. How are you doing? Great. We're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yes, ma'am. I am. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Great. So, Scott, as we mentioned in your intro, your area of expertise is employee loyalty. Mm -hmm. And you wrote the book, Why They Follow, which is a topic of great importance in education. So can you tell us what motivated you to write this book? Absolutely. I love the topic. Like we mentioned before, we love talking about leadership. And I've had a unique series of experiences that have all converged into what could be solutions that are pretty simple and easy that can solve a lot of problems in any type of workplace. Mm-hmm. And that's the question of how do you get people excited, motivated to perform, and how do you get them to stay with you and give you their heart and their soul? If I could have renamed the title, I would have called it How to Get People to Work Harder. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> But I don't know if that would have sold too many copies. You know, So I, I think I just like the topic. Mm-hmm. And with my previous career experiences, really, they've kind of converged. I used to be a leadership trainer when I was a naval officer. After I was on a ship, I went to a shore duty tour, and I taught some progressive leadership concepts we can talk about here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then in my professional career as a high-stakes headhunter, I recruit partners for law firms mm-hmm. at the partner level in Washington and New York. So it has nothing to do with education, mm-hmm. but because I've had literally tens of thousands of conversations with professionals asking them about their satisfaction level at work, I've got a lot of data. Mm-hmm. And when people tell me that they'll never leave a firm or a workplace, I always try to find out why is that? Here I, do, I have something that's a better opportunity, better pay, but you're gonna turn it down, why is that? And it's always an emotional answer. I love it here. Mm-hmm. And it usually has something to do with the people. In the workplace, it's usually the relationship with that boss who's one level up. Mm-hmm. And so taking that data, seeing that how do you keep your people and keep them engaged? It's the leadership skills of the mid-level to junior level manager, not the CEO, not the high level people. Those are important. But it's those people that might have responsibility for two or three other teachers, educators, or a small department. Mm-hmm. If we can get those people to improve in their leadership skills We're going to increase retention. We're going to increase performance. And we're also going to create a culture that attracts high achievers. So that's kind of my long answer to your question. It's something I'm passionate about. And I've got some content that I think makes Mm -hmm. a difference. And it's really exciting to see it make a difference for people. 
Well, you spoke about data, and we in education love data. So that's absolutely important. And you also talked about increasing the skill, the leadership skill of principals, assistant principals, directors. And when you speak that, it really speaks to improving the overall culture of the school, which is really what we want. We want to raise that level of awareness. And so that's wonderful. Data does speak. I'm so happy to have you here. So you spoke about how you were a leader in the Navy. How would you describe your leadership style? It's easy. I think, and this is one of the things I thought was interesting is that in the Navy, way back then, and we're talking Cold War. You know, when I went to, when I went to the Naval Academy, Reagan was president. We were building a 600-ship fleet. So it was a different world back then. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that officers were ranked for was forcefulness. There was actually a category on ranking officers, forcefulness. And I never got ranked very high in that. And it was kind of an ambiguous ranking. They've since deleted that because times have changed. Some traditions in the Navy aren't really healthy. They've been able to make changes. But back then, forcefulness. And so I think by getting started and seeing here I am, I'm not a high level manager, I'm a low level manager, I'm a junior level officer that has a team of about a dozen sailors. Mm -hmm. And I saw that the authority only gets people to perform so far, that they will respond more to the character, to the leadership skills of that junior officer more than their rank. And that's when it really dawned on me that if I want to get people to perform at a higher level, I've got to work on developing myself and become the type of person that's followable. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you first for your service. And also that really speaks to me because I don't follow forcefulness and I don't think right. anybody else wants to follow that. However, yeah. if we're not trained in leadership and if we don't know anything else, that's our go-to, especially if that has been in our past. So thank you for that. And it's interesting mm-hmm. that in some circumstances, that's an appropriate response, like in a time of an emergency. Right. You don't have time to create focus groups and get feedback right, from right. people. You know, that's not the time to build that participative environment. You've got to execute and you've got to take action. But most of the time, 99% of the time, if we can have an affiliative style that's collegial, that seeks input, that seeks to give people control over decisions that they make, that's what's going to get people to respond pretty high in how they follow. Mm-hmm. Now, Scott, you've not led large companies or schools. Mm-hmm. So why are you qualified to speak on this subject? And I ask because I really connect with this. Mm-hmm. I'm an ed leader. And although I've not led big schools or organizations, I can really relate to this because I've really worked on my leadership skills. Yeah. And I think for myself, it's partly because I was an educator in a way. I was a trainer when I was a naval officer training military officers and senior enlisted and having the volume of connections with them. And then also the volume of data from just having had so many conversations like we talked about. There's mm-hmm. so many people will tell me the exact same thing. And that's when I saw that there are patterns mm-hmm. that in a way, pretty much people are kind of predictable. And just because I'd seen so much of this, it gave me the confidence to say, this is what you need to do to get this kind of a response. There's a causal relationship between how we lead and how people respond. Mm-hmm. And so really, that's why I'm qualified, just because I've done that. And then in terms of leadership, you know, I'm self-employed. It's just myself and a part-time employee, and I kind of like it that way. But in terms of nonprofit leadership, I've been president of two industry trade associations. And I think when people are involved in peer-level leadership, Lily, that's harder because you don't have the authority behind you. They can quit. They can turn to their notice. In my Rotary Club, if you're in a leadership role and you're ineffective, people can quit. They can drop out of that club, out of that committee. And so I think people that are involved in what I call peer-level leadership, that's where the leadership skills have to be exceptionally high Mm -hmm. because you're leading an all-volunteer force. And I would imagine leading educators, these are intelligent, 
educated people that have their own mind and their own opinions, rightfully so. So a leader that leads them has to work even harder at building his or her own leadership styles and their skills also. Right. So as a leader, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I think one that has a clear vision of where he or she is going, one that has a high level of proficiency in their skills, whether it's understanding of the work that we're doing or understanding how people work, somebody that does have that life experience or someone that's considered what I call an old soul. Sometimes you meet younger people, they're just highly precocious individuals. They're an old soul. Mm-hmm. And I think also someone that has the passion that inspires other people, someone that has a genuine belief that the work that they're doing makes a difference for other people. Mm-hmm. And this is something I'm trying to teach my 16-year-old boy. Oh, you have one of those, huh? <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> Teaching him that, boy, the world does not revolve around you. <laughs> and and He's got his own career already. He's a professional international model. And so he thinks the world revolves. And no, it's not about you and teaching him that if you want to find real fulfillment in life, you take your eyes off yourself. You know, come down when we volunteer for the food truck for the homeless. Come down and do homeless ministry with me. Take your eyes off yourself and see that when you connect with other people and you provide service to them, that's where you find fulfillment. And so the type of leader that gets it. They understand clearly this is what our educational institution is all about. This is our purpose. This is where we're going. This is our vision. And this is how we improve other people's lives. And someone that can get very clear and specific about what I call that noble goal, the goal that serves others, that's what gets people excited. When they can see that the work they do makes a difference and they can point to that. They can say, I was a part of that. So that's something that inspires me. I'm sure that inspires a lot of people listening to your podcast also, Lily. Well, most of the audience, they became teachers, they became educators because of their purpose and, and passion. Right. And so sometimes it's, it's driven out of us, mm. but this is why we're doing what we're doing, because it's such an important way to build leadership. And when um, you said it's driven out of them, I'm sure there's an emotional response to that by people that are listening to your podcast right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been there. Yeah. And they've you know, they've probably gotten to the point where the leadership is such that they'd become demoralized. Yeah. It doesn't matter what we do. It's just not going to be good enough. Why even try? Right. And then that's like that negative cycle of downward spiraling, which leads to hopelessness and depression in a lot of working adults. Right. And it affects the kids, which is the most important thing. And so, sure. you know, Scott, you spoke to my heart when you're speaking about your son, because I have a 13-year-old. And that's my, I guess, toughest job as a leader is remembering or really focusing on helping to lead him and shepherd him in a way where he will be a great leader for others as a servant, as someone who gives to other people. That's important to do, not forget our children. I know. And it's uh, challenging too, because I find that they only listen to mom and dad, but they'll listen to somebody else. And they'll listen to that charismatic adult that's part of the youth group or, or scout troop or whatever. And I think it's good to see who are the people we can put in their path that will be a positive influence for them at the time that their ear muscles shut off whenever we say anything. Right. And (laughs) it's interesting because people can be really impressed with you, but your kid, not so much. (laughs) But it's great to set it up where you have other people speaking into his life. And so I feel grateful because we do have that for Jordan. Um, That's great. Yeah. So Scott, can you tell us what's the best advice you've ever received? I got this from an author. It was when I was at the Naval Academy and I always had a lot of demerits there. You know, I'd always always get in trouble and, and you could get rid of demerits by escorting educators to lunch. And so <laughs> in one day I like that. 
Yeah, I know. It's it it nice because there would be high school counselors that would come and they would learn about the service academies and you would take them to lunch. And it was nice to have some really nice people for a change sitting mm-hmm. next to you. Mm-hmm. And one day, the officer of the day said, today we're not having educators. We're having the board of visitors. This is a group of distinguished professionals. Vice Admiral Stockdale was there that day. He said, find somebody that's on the board of visitors, be on your best behavior, You know, take them to lunch, and then take them to your afternoon classes. And so there was one short man with a scruffy beard and a suit that looked like he slept in it. I introduced myself to him. I said, sir, my name is Midshipman Love. And he looked at me and he said, sir, my name is Shelby Foote, who was an author of the Civil War series. He was the expert on the Civil War during Ken Burns' legendary Civil War uh, documentary series from PBS. And I got a chance to sit next to him. And this is way back in 1985. Hmm. He, He had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch. I'll never forget that. And I asked him, I said, what's the best advice you would give to an aspiring writer? And he said, son, it's two things, read and write. It was a simple answer. Mm -hmm. And from that, I drew, that's the solution to everything. It's just doing something. Mm -hmm. It's just taking action, being a participator in your craft, being able to find what you're passionate about in the workplace and just going forward, not being afraid to do the work. That's the best advice I ever got, read and write. If you want to do something, focus on the actions, take action. Mm-hmm. Great advice. So I'm going to go back and forth with my regular questions, but I'm also sure. going to ask questions about your book. And one of them is, tell me how ed leaders will benefit from reading this book. It's going to show them examples of how to lead in a way that's going to cause other people to choose to respond with the higher response ratio. And what I mean by that is this, Lily. When we get a directive Mm-hmm. from somebody else. We choose the level of energy and commitment and enthusiasm we're going to apply to getting the job done. It's always a choice that we have. The same thing with the people that are in our charge. We're going to give them the directive and they're going to say on a scale of one to 10, how much energy, commitment and enthusiasm am I going to put into accomplishing the task? If they look at you and they see just your authority, well, you're the boss of me. I only have to do the one. And that's the minimum because if minimum wasn't good enough, it wouldn't be minimum. So I'm just going to do the minimum. But if they respect you, I wouldn't say necessarily if they admire you, but if they respect you, if they respect the fact that you've got a clear sense of who you are, what motivates you and what direction you're going in, both personally and also professionally, then they choose to respond at a higher level. And that in itself is the number one piece of advice I would give to anybody is to focus on developing your own leadership skills, do the work internally because leadership is intensely personal. We might think, oh, it's nothing personal. It's just business. No, everything's personal. The emotions that people have from home go to work with them every day. The emotions that they have at work go home every evening. There's no way you can get around that emotional context of the workplace. But because we are emotional animals, let's turn on the switch and lead with good leadership skills so that other people are going to choose to respond at a higher level. That's the single greatest point I want people to take from my book. And so I tell stories and give examples instead of, well, follow these three steps. I give some tactical action steps, but I I believe that through the stories that I put in here, it shows people how to do just that. Mm -hmm. You're talking about different levels of leadership, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that in your book, you talk about a sliding scale. So how can someone improve one level? I'd say two things, and this is super simple, and that's the way I live. That's the way I roll. I keep everything simple and easy. If that's it's how simple, you roll. I like that. <laughs> if it's simple, I can. I'm going to figure it out. If it's easy, I'm going to stay with it. Okay. And so that's the way I teach concepts. Also, let's keep it simple and easy and fun. First thing I'd recommend that they do is to write down what is their purpose in life. What is the reason they're on this planet? It might not have anything to do with professional career objectives. But what is their purpose of their life on this planet? And to spend a few minutes, you don't have to spend hours. Mm -hmm. Just in a few minutes, you can think through what is my purpose on this planet and to write it down. 
<laughs> and I actually have mine. I use technology, Lily. I tape it to my computer monitor. <laughs> it it's technology. That's, hey, that's right. don't knock it. Tape I it love to my tape. Computer monitor. And so that's a reminder <laughs> right. that talks about this is the man that I am becoming. This is where I'm going. This is who I am. I wrote this version way back is probably around 9-11, a pivotal time, an inflection point in our society. A lot of introspective thought going on at that time. And I kept that ever since. And I read that pretty much every day to remind me of who I'm becoming. And I've become part of the attributes on there. That's who I become over the years. That's the first thing. Second thing is I'd recommend that they think through what are your personal core values. Now, I don't know where I got that concept originally. It must have been through some of Stephen Covey's books, which I highly recommend thinking through what the roles in each area of your life you have and what are the values for each one of those and the purpose for each one of those. You can get a clear sense of who you are and what motivates you in terms of your core values. And this is what I mean. Assuming you had all the money in the world, all your relationships are perfect, you have all the time in the world, what's left over? What are those values mm -hmm. that mean the most to you? And sometimes in life, as you get older, you know, I just turned the big 5-0 this week. You did. As you get older, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then, Welcome uh, to the club. Right. Yeah, thank you. As you get older, the curveball don't bother you as much because mm -hmm. you kind of know what's going to happen. And you also realize that some of the values that you have weren't really immediately apparent about how important something really was to you mm -hmm. when you got old. Some of the things that used to be important to you when you're younger aren't as important to you when you get older. And so I think that's something that kind of evolves over time. So the point is just that personal awareness because mm -hmm. of how we live People are always observing. They're always making judgments about us and how we are perceived to be. And they take all that knowledge and they put it in this computer and out comes the response ratio. What sort of response am I going to give to you? Well, you're saying that our institution's core values are respect for all students and faculty. Mm -hmm. Yet I hear you talking disrespectfully to our colleagues mm -hmm. behind their back. I see you rolling the eyes. Right. I hear you talking about somebody that's part of our team in a disrespectful way. I'm choosing not to give you as high of a response ratio the next time you ask me to participate in something because I remember that. Mm -hmm. And that's just how people are. You know, bottom line, how do we become that type of personal leader that's followable? It's getting clear with our personal mission statement and also our personal core value system. As you were speaking about this particular situation, right, let's say you have someone who's leading you who isn't leading you in the optimal way, is rolling the eyes or isn't walking in integrity. Quite often, we don't address that. What are some reasons why people won't address that? I think fear. Mm -hmm. Their fear that this is going to affect my job security. I'm not going to be seen as highly regarded by my colleagues. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me. But you know, when you are true to who you are, does it really matter what other people think? One of the first experiences I had as an active duty military officer, I'll never forget this, and I was quite shocked that here I am, it's within the first week that I was on the ship, and I was at a wardroom party. The officers, there's probably about six officers on our ship. It was a small ship, and their spouses got together at somebody's house. And at the end of the evening, the captain of the ship was leaving, and he was drunk. I mean, he was barely able to walk drunk, and he's leaving to the door. He's going to drive home, and I'm asking the other officers, the, the senior officer of the group, he was just a lieutenant, which means he's 28 years old, and I was 22. Mm -hmm. I asked him, I said, what are we going to do about the captain? He says, well, he's the captain, because the captain's always right. And I asked everybody else, there are about four or five of us, is anybody going to stop the captain? Why aren't they doing this? I walk over, and I tap him on the shoulder, and I say, with all due respect, sir, one of us are going to drive you home. And he fought me. He said, no, no, I'm good. And I said, sir, with all due respect, I insist we're going to drive you home. And then all the officers walked over, and together we got his keys from him. 
But I couldn't believe that. I mean, not like I'm patting myself on the back, but when you do the right thing, does it really matter what other people think about you? When you're congruent with who you are and why you're on this planet, that gives you strength. And I think that's what people respect. I also believe in following proper channels and following protocol and not doing this in a catty sort of gossipy sort of way. But if you see something that's not right, you need to follow the certain procedures in place to resolve that. I love that story because it also speaks to how you took responsibility for what's mm. yours, right? right? So in a situation like that where leaders that are under the authority of other people, they have that fear and that fear is intense. But if we think about it differently and we ask ourselves, what's my responsibility to this person? And we take that responsibility because someone's not going to grow unless someone else helps them, right? And you may not be the person, but at least you would have done everything in your power and everything in your responsibility to move that forward. That's right. And be the leader that we wish to see in the world. So, And I think that in itself, when somebody does that, when they step out and they know that they're going in a certain direction, that's going to attract other followers. And what's interesting is that in an organization, organization, sometimes those that have the most political capital might not be the highest in the organization, Mm -hmm. but they've contributed. They've made certain decisions. They've supported certain people where the results have been positive. They build that political capital. They build almost a following. And from that, they can make withdrawals and use that to gain momentum in other areas. So it's not necessarily the title Mm -hmm. of people that have leadership. You've probably seen this in certain educational institutions, that there might be one teacher that whenever that teacher says something, everybody listens. It's the influence, she ha- right. Absolutely right. right. She has that leadership, the moxie, the skills, the chops to be able to build that following because people respect her. Yeah. So, Scott, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced that has shaped your life? I think it was the dilemma of indecision and distractions in my own professional career, seeing that I've got too many irons in the fire and I've got to only choose one. I think in terms of professional competency, that's been my biggest challenge that I've had to overcome. In a leadership role, it was when I was head of a nonprofit. The incoming president had a serious health condition and they needed somebody to step in right away to keep that nonprofit going in the right direction. That was a big challenge because I had to come into an organization where I was the new guy to the board. They knew me, but this is the first time I was on that board. And here I was, the only one willing to say, okay, I'll be president for a year and really having to kind of take charge quickly and make quick decisions. And what I did, I got real clear. I said, this is what our association is all about. This is our mission. And these are our values. And this is how we serve our constituency, Mm -hmm. our members of our trade association. And then having a big ask, because of this need that we have, I need to ask all of you to give a little bit extra time. Many hands make light work. And all I'm asking is that everybody does a little. Mm -hmm. And trying to speak in a way that gets them motivated through that noble goal of we're going to serve somebody else. Here's our constituent. Mm -hmm. And then not being afraid to ask them. So that was the biggest challenge I think I've had uh, professionally in a leadership situation. And can you tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life and the life of those around you? I think a lot of it is within my speaking career, because like we mentioned before, I recruit partners for law firms. That's my primary professional endeavor. But I develop a lot of stories from that. You know, I've spoken to many different types of businesses, municipalities. So I've spent time with superintendents of different school districts to learn more about that. But just coming into a group of professionals and telling stories that make a lifelong impact where I'll meet people on the metro in Washington. When I'm walking down the street in Manhattan, I'll run into people that have seen me speak before. When I was in downtown Baltimore about a month ago, Mm -hmm. met a guy at a Subway restaurant. 
oh yeah, I saw you speak at our company's meeting three years ago. And hearing that the stories that are simple and easy and fun, that they make a lifelong impact. I think that's my greatest professional success is just being able to tell stories and speak in a way that gets people to be willing to change which is the hard part, then giving them a few ideas that make that change pretty easy in terms of a step-by-step formula. Right. And you know, Scott, I find that the most effective speakers have been those who speak with authority. In other words, they walk the talk. Right. And so I right. imagine that that's what's happening in your situation. <laughs> that's great. I think a little um, bit of gray hair always gives you a little <laughs> bit more horsepower in terms of getting their attention. Now, getting back to your book, one of the chapters talks about leadership development on a budget. And this is key because in education, oftentimes most of the funds for professional development are spent on curriculum, pedagogy, you know, student performance, reviewing regulations, and that's absolutely important, but it leaves very little that's earmarked for leadership development, as in people development, which affects everything. So what are some economical ways an educational organization can develop leadership skills of the administrators? I'll give you about three ideas. The first one is to have a book study. Start with some of Stephen Covey's books that I would say are the more foundational ones for leadership development and break it into maybe two chapters a week. Do it over lunchtime. You can get a book for less than $20. It's not a big budget. Uh, Something else I tell people is to spend an hour a day in personal development. Oh, I don't have an hour a day. Yeah, you do. Here's some ideas. Mm -hmm. You can listen to podcasts and on their commute to work. How long is your commute? It's 30 minutes. Okay, listen to a podcast on the way in. Listen to another one on the way home. There you go. You got your hour of personal development done. Or listen to audiobooks over iTunes or Audible Mm -hmm. where you can get one for less than $20. That's four hours long. Or I always say double down when you do 30 minutes on the elliptical or the treadmill. Why don't you listen to a podcast? So now you're doing an hour's worth of development in 30 minutes worth of time. That's the first thing I'd recommend. Do it together as a group in terms of book studies. Second thing I'd recommend is ask the educators to lead the training to facilitate the discussion, to come up with what are the top three points from each chapter and what are some questions that you can use to facilitate. Now you're getting to see who's that next generation of leadership in action. You're giving people a chance to lead their peers, which like we mentioned before, is very difficult, but very important. So you want to have that discussion. Then the third thing I recommend is just to spend time in terms of journaling. Get a journal. It's something that I don't see a lot of professionals have for whatever reason. But go to the bookstore, buy a $30 journal with Italian leather. You open it up from the the Mm -hmm. package and it smells like you want to eat it. It just smells good (laughs) with with the right white creamy pages and the gold foil on the outside. And that's where you want to write down all your victories, all your challenges. That's where you can write down your goals each month and each week. I think it's important to have goals. Mm -hmm. And then if you have this kind of a group where you can talk about character goals. I remember this one executive of a bank I met and he said that every month he and his executive team would get together to really talk about the issues within their bank. And he said they would have this ritual that each of them would choose one character goal each month. Mm. What's that one virtue that you want to grow in this month? And that's something I started doing a few months ago. I choose one virtue, something such as focus Mm -hmm. or consistency. And each month, that's the one thing I'm thinking about that month. One of the books I'd recommend, speaking of the one thing, is called The One Thing, written by Gary Keller. He was the founder of Keller Williams. He talks about 20% of the work that we do gives us 80% of the results that we want. So focus 
deeper and deeper on that 20%. What's the one thing you need to do? What's that one character quality this month that you want to improve in that's going to help you grow? Mm-hmm. So those would be three things I'd recommend. Spend one hour a day in personal development. Do leadership development in terms of buying books and facilitating a book discussion each week over lunch. And then have a journal and focus on one character goal. And if you have that kind of a group to talk about that, bring that up. Talk mm-hmm. about what is that character quality you want to grow in this month and how is that impacting your work? Scott, I thank you for these because each one of these are so powerful. But also, I would say don't wait for professional development. Do it yourself. Invest in yourself. And I think one of the most effective ways is also to hire a coach. Absolutely um, right. You're investing in yourself. And I think that's incredibly valuable. It's funny, you mentioned the one thing. I did buy the book. Now, the one thing I have to do is start to read that. That's piece. right. Something I started doing for myself. This is interesting. You mentioned that this is about a year and a half ago. I focused on completion. I need to be a good finisher. You know, starting something is easy, and I'd have all these books lying around the house. <laughs> and, and, I, and I realized, I, you know, I got to stop buying them. I got to start reading them. And now it's just, I'm going to start this one book, and then I'm going to focus on being a good finisher. And what's happened is that it's a more enriching reading experience where you get into it. You start right. taking notes and putting them in the margins. Read it with the highlighter. You really dig in, especially when you find a book that has some innovative, powerful ideas like the one thing. Mm-hmm. So, Scott, I know that you're an entrepreneur, and I know that it can be challenging to schedule your time. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have? How do you balance everything? Well, I'll talk about the first one and then the second mm-hmm. one. And I work in an office. What helps me, and this is something I'd recommend, look for habits and rituals to give you energy. Last weekend, my wife and I've got a little girl. She's five. The three of us went out to go bowling. And one of the things I'm really good at, Lily, I'm good at gutter balls. Every gutter ball <laughs> I've ever bowled has been absolutely perfect. And I thought, what if we could have boundaries that force us to go forward even when we don't feel like it. I'm driving to go out of town one weekend on a Saturday and I took the exit accidentally to go to my office. I'm like, why did I do that? Oh, it's because of the habit. Mm -hmm. The habit forced me to go in a direction even if I wasn't thinking about it, even if I didn't feel like it. And so I think it's helpful to create certain habits and rituals that force us to go in a direction to get there even when we don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. So I create certain rituals in my life. The first thing I do when I wake up, get out of bed, I make the bed. Your mom was right. Make your bed. And that's the line of demarcation that night is over and day has begun. So I'm setting my day with action. Then I have these rituals that I tell myself. So I've read a lot of books on sports psychology. And in my profession, there's a lot of adversity and you've got to build resilience muscles. And I'm sure in education as well, there's a lot of adversity. You can put a lot of heart and soul and energy into something and still not get the results you want. Mm -hmm. So you've got to build resilience muscles. And so I would develop a series of mantras. The first one is this. I say, today's going to be the most exciting day of my life. I tell myself that every day. And I remember giving a speech once and this fellow came up to me and he said, I've, I've seen all the speakers, I've read all the books, and I've got to tell you that one thing you said is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, I agree, it sounds corny. I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and by golly, people like me. Al Franken, uh-huh. remember? Uh-huh. <laughs> Saturday Night Live. But I told him, I said, test it for a week and see what happens. See how you live your life. See how people respond to you when you have this expectation. It's going to be an exciting day. And he emailed me a a week later. He said, you're absolutely right. I'm going to do that every day for the rest of my life. And that's something I'd recommend is have certain mantras as part of your rituals that lay us in a course in our mind that it's going to be a great day. So that's ritual number one. I tell myself, today's going to be the most exciting day of my life. Next thing I say is, everything I touch turns to gold. I think our expectation, we telegraph our intention to other people and they respond to us. If I approach a classroom like I'm the worst teacher in the world and nobody's going to learn, so why even try? Open your books. Let's start the day. They're going to respond to me that. 
that way. So I have the expectation. Everything I touch turns to gold. I think people pick up on cues from us and how to treat us. We train them how to treat us. If I expect today's going to be an exciting day, if I expect that everything I touch turns to gold, you can have another mantra. I use one that's appropriate for my business. Everybody I talk to wants to do business with me. I'd recommend every student I impact learns from me. Awesome. So today's going to be the most exciting day of my life. Everything I touch turns to gold. Every student responds positively to my instruction. And then the fourth one I ask, this would be appropriate for education as well. It's almost a meditation. Put me in the path of those whom I can serve. Mm. And it's a reminder that it's not about me. It's about my impact. It's about my influence and how I can touch the lives of other people. So that's how I start my day. And then when I come to my office, I take action as soon as I get here, whether it's I pick up the phone and call somebody. I try to reach out and touch someone mm-hmm. as the old <laughs> We're dating ourselves here. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're not going to talk about friends and family, though. But I try to make a difference by starting my day reaching out to somebody picking up the phone and calling them. I take action. There's this pressure of wanting to hesitate and wanting to hide and to take the day off. And I push that membrane by taking action. And this is something I taught my little girl, which is funny. She's five years old. I taught her action dissipates fear. When she's afraid to do something, I ask her. She's afraid to go down the slide. Say, what should you do? I should should face my fears. Why is that? Because fears go away when you take action. She knows the drill. She was talking with a little girl in the playground. I overheard this about six months ago. The other little girl says, I'm afraid to go down that slide. My little girl says, that's exactly how I should do it. That's a proud moment. That's right. That's right. (laughs) That's awesome. And so I think taking action if you're afraid to go into that classroom, you just walk through the door. And sometimes you don't have to think about the entirety of the day. Just look at the first thing in front of you. Just turn the handle. Right. Walk through the door. Go to your desk. Greet the class. Just focus on the next step in front of you. That helps you to dissipate that fear. I think by having rituals, those create habits. And that habit, it gives us energy to overcome that indecisive fear that we feel. And mm-hmm. to go ahead and start our day in a, in a healthy, active way. Well, Scott, I think that's a great way to start your day because oftentimes we can wake up in a funk. And so starting that in the way that you suggested is really important and powerful. So thank you for sharing that with us. Sure, sure, sure. Now, if you as a leader were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I would say quit trying to do everything in multiple directions. I would say to keep it simple. Mm -hmm. Focused on that next step in front of you. Don't try to do too much. Focus on being a good finisher. I would also recommend to get involved in charity work at a younger age because that's where you really find the greatest joy you can have, whether it's with a rotary club or your parish or your synagogue or your church. Then one of the most powerful experiences I had when I lived in North Carolina, I was really involved in Trinity Episcopal downtown. And I remember meeting one of our fellow parishioners who was a rector of a church that used to meet in Trinity's basement, and it was called Church of the Advocate. It was a homeless ministry. And I told him, I said, I'd like to get involved. And I'm thinking, oh, I'll sit on the board. It'll be a good thing for me to do. And he said, well, just come to the services Sunday afternoons. Like, come and I meet the homeless people. Then the next week, I want to get in involved. What should I say? Well, just keep coming to the services. And then I realized that was how to get involved. Mm -hmm. He wanted people like you and me to be a part of that parish, to have a connection, eyeball to eyeball with people that live on the streets. And what I found was powerful. That was the ministry. Mm -hmm. And that was the joy. And I found I got more out of those services than anything else, Mm -hmm. because I'm around people that are looking for their next meal. How bad are my problems? It gave me a good perspective. And you don't have any judgment. It's all about grace. Remembering their names, remembering their stories and telling them their names. Hey, Joseph, how are you? And they, you hadn't seen them in about four weeks. And they pick up on that. Mm-hmm. 
that you see them as someone that has worth, someone that has value. And that was an impacting experience for me. It showed me that people like that and people like me were no different. We're on the same level. I just made different decisions and I had a mom and dad that were really good to me. And that's about it. We're pretty much the same. Well, Scott, that speaks to how you value those around you. A great leader values those around them. And so I appreciate that. I also value how you value our listeners and pour so much into them. So your book, Why They Follow, How to Lead with Positive Influence, where can our listeners find your book? You can go to Amazon or just type Why They Follow and it'll come up. Or you can go to my website at scottlove, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-V-E.com. And there's a link that says books and you can order it directly through there. And while you're on my site, you can sign up for my emails. Uh, Every once in a while, I'll send out an email if I have a new blog update and there's other content on my blog that's all free. And I hope that makes a difference for everybody. Great. Scott, is there anything else that we haven't addressed that you'd like to share with our listeners? I would say, remember that it's not about us. It's about those whom we serve. And that as an educator, you're making a lifelong impact. Just a month ago, one of my high school teachers reached out to me on Facebook. And I responded by calling her Mrs. Adams. You know, <laughs> That's a great and, moment. And she said, you can call me Laura. I'm like, I can't. I can't. <laughs> you're Mrs. Adams. You know, and that meant a lot to me. That here was somebody that remembered me from long ago and uh, somebody that made an impact for me and all of my educators. Uh, Mrs. Muschenheim, Mr. Colick, all of them in high school made a huge difference. And I'm very grateful for the, for the service they gave. Yeah. Uh, and so that's something else I'd like to say. Thank Thank you for your service because you make a lifelong impact for the people you touch. And sometimes I just don't know if they understand how powerful that impact is, that they're a leader in the development of future generations by that one-on-one contact that they have. And that's significant, Lily. Yes, educators touch the world, really. Scott, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Thank you. Thank. This is great, Lily. I hope we get to talk again real soon. It's been fun. Hello, leaders. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. And although it's been around for centuries, coaching to develop effective leadership skills is fairly new to education and grossly underutilized. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite the leader in you.